Welcome to the Kids Sleep Health Podcast, brought to you by Full Face Orthodontics. This podcast is presented by Dr. Derek Mahoney, an orthodontist who has lectured in over 120 countries about early intervention orthodontics, something that has a profound impact on sleep health. Dr. Mahoney says his passion is helping young people achieve a better life through better sleep. In this podcast, he will be speaking to the world's leading medical minds about all things kids' sleep health. So tune in, because the secret to kids' sleep might be right under their nose. Hi, welcome to the next in our series of uh, podcast events related to kids' sleep. And I would also add to that kids' behavior and the ability to learn well in the classroom. So it gives me great pleasure to introduce tonight's um, speaker, and that is uh, Nada, and I think I'm saying it right, Nada, Maki Karnib. Yep, it's close enough. Close enough, all right. Um, Nada is the uh, director uh, and the principal speech and language pathologist at QSpeech uh, here in Sydney. She founded um, that organisation and uh, brings with her 19 years of combined experience and expertise in the fields of both speech pathology and biomedical science. And I think add to that um, my functional therapy. And I was so pleased to hear recently, Nada, that you've been accepted for PhD research in the United States. That's amazing. Um, Nada is a mother of four children and she wholly understands the concerns parents and families have for their loved ones, and she strives to provide the latest evidence-based and individualized practice to achieve success. And she does that in a very supportive and warm environment. Um, uh, Nada has extensive experience working within schools, early childhood settings, clinics, um, aged care facilities, and hospitals. Uh, She's also provided training to educators and teachers uh, via her parent workshops, And she really enjoys engaging with children in either individual group or whole class therapy sessions. So tonight, um, I'm going to ask uh, Nada a um, a number of questions that have been posed to me uh, by parents over the years associated with um, the topic of uh, myofunctional therapy or oral myology, um, et cetera, et cetera. Nada, can I start by saying, um, what age would you normally see kids? I assume parents when they start getting their kids ready uh, for the first year of school, then start um, uh, uh, by either by their GP or someone else uh, referring to you because the kid is uh, possibly delayed in certain things, uh, speech. Can you tell us where, where most of your patients come from? Absolutely. So um, thanks, Dr. Mahoney, for that introduction. Um, lovely to be joining you. Um, our work starts from birth um, and more and more with the, with the research that's coming through and the knowledge that we have, even before. So we're even wanting to educate families or, or mothers um, who are pregnant, um, what to be looking for with breathing, what to be looking for with developmental milestones, because it really does start from birth. Um, what we normally see in a child that's quite easily identifiable, um, normally when you're looking back, so my case history always starts from birth. Um, And the younger we start, I suppose the earlier and the easier the intervention is um, and and, and usually more straightforward. So we start from birth. But generally speaking, um, because obviously we don't expect our non-speech pathology colleagues or parents to be um, qualified speech pathologists 
as a rule of thumb, a child that's starting school, um, they should be pretty clear. So they should be understood by people other than immediate family with almost 100% accuracy. They should be clear to understand. They should be eating table food with the family um, and they should be able to understand and, and hold a conversation reasonably well. So let me ask you another question. If I'm a parent and I'm saying, well, what, what um, has my speech pathologist uh, got to do with my child's sleep? Um, and what exactly is this oral myology? Yeah, that is a great question and one that I, I get very often. Um, so the answer to that, I suppose, lies in what I'm doing in this field and what I'm doing in my clinical doctorate. Um, it's all about looking at the underlying issues. What, what is going on? underneath that tip of the iceberg what is going on so for me and for many of my colleagues when we see a speech problem or a feeding problem or a behavioral problem um, we really need to be stepping back and looking what is going on beneath the surface and we really need to be looking at sleep and airways because as important as feeding as as important as speech is it isn't actually critical for our survival breathing and sleep is so that will be prioritized by a child's body a child will need to sleep and they will need to breathe and they will need to compensate to get that. What we normally find falling apart is their speech, is their feeding, is their behaviour, their anxiety, because they've put so much effort into staying alive by breathing and sleeping that these less essential um, functions go by, the, go by the side. And can you tell me, uh, Nada, what are some red flags that parents would need to look for to see whether their child has any of these uh, problems that we're going to discuss tonight? Sure. So the first things, the first things we ask about sleep, and usually when I do ask about sleep, and I let parents, you know, I ask the question, I want to know more about their sleep, and I just ask them that general question. Ninety-five percent of the time, the parents will come back. Oh, they they sleep really well. They'll sleep nine hours or ten hours or whatever it is, and that's great. But that's only just one of many important questions that um, I guess I, I'm after or, or the information. What's um, really important is are they snoring? Um, and, you know, for children, snoring isn't the same benchmark as it is with adults. Um, they don't need to sound like a, like, a, you know, like a tractor to be problematic. A child really should be an obligate nasal breather. So they need to be keeping their lips closed. Um, they need to be nasal breathing. They need to be um, breathing and sleeping in a manner that you can't, almost can't see and can't hear them breathing. That's what we call good breathing. Um, other things to be looking for when they're asleep, do they toss and turn? So when they're waking up in the morning, are those sheets all over the place? Um, are they sweating? So are they the children that are kicking off their doomers? Are they wearing very, um, very light clothing when they're asleep? Are they grinding their teeth? Um, you know, uh, there's also questions, I suppose, about do they wake up in the morning and they're refreshed? Are they hyperactive or, or quite fatigued? So with adults, we haven't had a good night's sleep. We know we can verbally say, I need my coffee before I start my day. Um, and don't talk to me, give me my Panadol because I've just had a really, really terrible night's sleep. Children don't have that. Um, what we find with children is either they're um, bouncing off the walls with energy levels, inability to um, focus and regulate. I think that's a really big one. Regulate in the classroom, regulate their emotions. Um, and also then there's the other ones where they can't get through their, their match of soccer or football or whatever it is without feeling too lethargic. 
Um, there's also the, the, you know, the circles under the eyes. Yes, there are a few different, um, you know, factors that we need to exclude. Are they iron deficient? Um, are, are there allergies? We definitely need to be addressing that. But we also need to be asking these questions and, and working out, is there an underlying sleep um, and breathing issue going on? And, you know, I remember I was giving a lecture in Korea at the Asian um, Sleep Association meeting. And after my lecture, Christian Gumnon, uh, the famous, um, you know, the father of sleep, gave his lecture. And I was amazed, you know, of all the years of research and all the patients he's seen, he concluded his lecture by apologizing for coming up with a numeric way to gauge sleep. So, you know, uh, AHI, which I might get you to chat a little bit about. And he actually said the future, if we're going to treat um, sleep disordered problems, is actually oral myology or myofunctional therapy. And he said the earlier we can get onto that, the better. So, you know, this is coming from what I would call the sleep god. When I did my um, further training in sleep medicine, um, every second reference was Gumino. And even in the uh, textbooks and the literature, when it comes to sleep, there's so much more with uh, myofunctional therapy. So can you possibly tell us how myofunctional therapy uh, uh, can help uh, with sleep disordered breathing? Yeah, sure. So first of all, one of the biggest regrets I, of my career, I think, would be not having the opportunity to, to meet um, Dr. Gilmore before he passed. Um, he is such an icon for us um, and for so many of us in, the, in our profession. Um, he, you know, when it comes to tongue tie, he, he really, he was an absolute master, an absolute genius. So he looked at the small picture and the big picture. So he never got swept away by, um, I, I think you may remember when we met with Dr. Zaghi and had dinner when he was in Sydney. Yep. Yep. He spoke about, you know, they, they're talking about in Stanford University, these fancy um, and hu hugely complicated um, surgeries with jaw, you know, um, jaw development and all the rest of it. Um, and yet he said, do not bypass that little string under the tongue, the tongue tie. That could be what is causing some of the functional issues. Yeah. Yep. So with all of his intelligence, he really didn't just look at what was complicated. He wanted to look at the whole picture. And yep. he, like you said, some of the research that came out of his work with regards to my functional therapy showed that when um, when a child had sleep apnea, they have um, abnormal oropharyngeal development. So basically the sensation and the movement of the tongue and the jaw and the soft palate is impaired in children with um, obstructive sleep apnea as compared to, um, you know, children who don't. And that's an another example of, of that would be there is a tool, the IOP, which we use with our patients, that measures the lip and the tongue strength. What they found, again, it, it confirmed his findings that children with obstructive sleep apnea have less tongue strength and less lip strength than children who don't. So this is very valuable information for us, and it really sets the groundwork for myofunctional therapy, which I guess to simplify, it's a series of um, of exercises which work to develop and coordinate the muscles of the face. And that's including the oral pharynx and the pharyngeal muscles and the tongue, which are all very powerful in, in opening up the airway. So we know that... Yeah, sorry, go ahead. No, so I know when I am trying to explain to a mum why I'm referring to you, I, I, I say to them, look, um, if someone has a structural problem, even, you know... Um, in the way they walk, et cetera. 
there's got to be some physiotherapy once you fix the problem to get those muscles balancing thing. So I always say an oral myologist is like a um, physiotherapist for muscles of the face, and they kind of get that, right? Uh, and of course, the most important muscle that we all know, particularly anyone involved in sleep medicine, is the tongue. And, uh, you know, I've had so many kids who I've sent off to the nose and throat doctor, they've cleared the adenoids and tonsils, and sure, the kid can breathe through the nose, but guess what? They choose to still to adopt that, you know, what we call adenoid facial posture, you know, open mouth, tongue down. And that's really where uh, I, I think they would uh, benefit from uh, from your help. Um, tell me, um, I noticed with a lot of the letters you send back to me um, with the kids that have amazing outcomes, by the way. Uh, so thanks for all you do. Um, you. You, you supplement a lot of your day exercises with um, a little appliance at night. Do you want to tell me a little bit about this uh, healthy start? Because after you started using it, I went back and looked at the literature and I realized that one of um, uh, an orthodontist, uh, Earl Bergenson, years ago, I'm talking like I think 40 years ago, started talking about this well before everyone else and developed um, appliances because I guess um, during the day, if the kid does the exercise, it's fantastic, but the tongue assumes it's lazy posture at night. So can I get you to tell me a little bit about these appliances you recommend as part of your therapy? Yeah, absolutely. So these healthy start habit correctors, um, which can be worn over braces, so that's why a lot of your patients can um, put them in without affecting the, the orthodontic work. What it's doing, it's basically, I call it my best friend. So it basically facilitates whatever I'm trying to get them to do with the myofunctional therapy. And that's correcting the tongue posture. And it has a little lingua shelf that automatically puts the tongue up in that correct position, sitting up against the palate. It also has tabs on the side that encourages that, you know, the sideway pushing so that the tongue is really fitting nicely into the palate. And if it's fitting, fitting up in the palate, it's moving away from the airways. So it's moving away from the back of the throat, which is what we want cleared when, when they're asleep. The other feature is that it puts the, the jaws in as close to um, class one, which is what orthodontists and dentists really talk about, where the jaw sits well and opens up the airway. It puts the child's jaw in the best position possible um, to allow that. And, of course, it does make sure that they are nasal breathing, which is which is a holy grail here. We need to be nasal breathing. Um, and with my functional therapy alone, it's very effective. But it's, um, you know, by combining the two, we're really fast-tracking and allowing that while they're kicking into that habit, they also have something that during their sleep, which is where their growth and development is happening, we're putting them in the best situation, the best sort of set of, um, you know, circumstances, I suppose. Would you say... Uh... I find that there's a high correlation between these kids with poor sleep mm -hmm. and those who suck their thumb. Have you, have you seen that clinically? Yeah, absolutely. So with thumb sucking and with dummy use, with pacifiers, um, we're always needing to check what is going on with the airways. So we, we absolutely don't want thumb sucking. We definitely don't want a dummy in the mouth. But we do know that there's a reason sometimes for, for this happening. And sometimes it could be that, they have such large tonsils that by putting that pressure down on the tongue, they're moving it out of the airways and effectively opening up the airways. The other thing is when we put pressure on our top palate, what we call the spot, it releases hormones that calms them down, which is why children and sometimes adults 
really do thumbs up to calm themselves down, it's a feel-good hormone that's released. So we need to replace it, but we need to be checking for their sleep and for their airways uh, first and foremost. I honestly think there is no reason why any child that goes to any allied health professional, any dentist, any doctor should not be screened. And there is a validated tool that we give to our local GPs. Um, you don't need to be, you know, um, a professor in this whole field, but you do need to be able to look out for, for screening airway issues and sleep issues. You know, I'm glad you mentioned the spot because um, uh, I promised myself that the next uh, bit of study I did, I would do purely for joy enjoyment rather than to get more letters after I know. So I decided to do um, some further studies in um, what we would call Chinese medicine, right? Mm -hmm. And, you know, um, in my reading, um, it started with Confucius and, um, and yin yang. And I don't want to like, you know, go into that, but guess where the crossover point of yin yang is? It's exactly the spot. Yeah. If you, yeah. yeah. So there's so much to go on with that. And absolutely when a kid, you know, um, is not sleeping well and cortisol has been released and they have this whole what we call flight or flight response, putting mm -hmm. the tongue up on your palate and pressing hard there actually changed that parasympathetic drive. Uh, you know, it's, it's a really important thing. So I think parents need to understand that. And, uh, you know, putting the bits and pieces together, I just find these kids, they come in, they're not sleeping well, they're not breathing well. Uh, their malocclusion is affected because of that. Their tongue's not doing what it's supposed to do. So we have this little kid who's seven. He's not doing well in class. You know, the parent, the teachers say he's disruptive. Why? Because, like you said, he's not sleeping well. And a kid who doesn't sleep well becomes um, hyperactive. Mm -hmm. So unfortunately, without any sleep study, these kids are put on things like Ritalin, yeah. um, uh, you know, which is not really what they need. Mm -hmm. um, and then you and I have to deal with the problem. And, and I just find... We have this syntax of care, check the airway, work with our inos and throat colleagues like Dr. Zaghi, maybe widen the palate. But then most importantly, get that kid to learn to change their breathing from open mouth tongue down to tongue up on the palate. Well, what, what would be the sort of earliest age you'd, you'd want to get involved and, um, uh, uh, and what happens if you miss the boat? Yeah, um, so I don't think we ever do miss the boat because, as you would see, you, you, you know, yeah, patients who are adults who still need who still need my work because they've got anterior open bites and their tongue is thrusting or they have a forward tongue position. Um, as speech pathologists, we would look at that as a as a list or um, you know, the, you know, their their speech is just not as clear as what they would like it to be or what people would like it to be. Um, so I, I don't think I have no problems treating adults as well. As young, you know, how young would we start? Ideally, anywhere between four to five is where, where we would normally start with exercises where we're expecting the child to follow instructions. Yeah. In my work as a speech pathologist, I have so many children that are, um, you know, have cognitive impairment that I've had to learn to adapt. So that's where I don't just have my, you know, orofacial myology hat on, but my roots as a speech pathologist really has yeah. to keep me. I'm looking at oral dysfunction. Whether it's a child who's 15 that has got no ability to follow my instructions or if it's a baby or a two-year-old, I need to be able to work with that to improve the oral function. And I think also knowing that by waiting, you know, it's, it's like with early intervention for malocclusions. The more, you, why would you wait? When the, when the earlier you start, the better it is. So we just adapt what we do. 
Some people say technically it's not my functional therapy. You know, semantics, basically we're trying to fix oral function because it's not right. Can, can you touch on, I mentioned Earl Bergenson and the amazing research he did. He came up with this sort of, um, if you want a better word, like a, a pediatric sleep questionnaire that a parent can fill out. And um, since I started uh, listening to what you were doing, I'm starting using that form a lot more. And parents, you just see them filling it out. They go, oh, my God, how did you know all this about my kid? Uh, and, and, and it's because we see a lot of common things. Do you want to talk about that questionnaire and what are some of the common things that the parents would, would, would see as they tick the box? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So um, that's a sleep and speech questionnaire, but it really is more about sleep and um, some of those red flags that I mentioned about. So it asks all those questions about are they irritable during the day? One thing that I did miss was do they bed with? Um, and that's one of the last ones. And, you know, always an eye-opener because you get, unfortunately, there's an element of shame on the parents or on the child if they're still bedwetting. So after I've gone through this questionnaire, talking about snoring, talking about audible breathing, talking about bruxine, inattentiveness, hyperactivity, so many of those, and I'm happy to share it with any of our listeners. Um, is, that, is that available? Uh, I mean, at the end of this podcast, I'm obviously going to, I mean, a lot of parents always email my team and say, look, how do I get in touch with Nardo, et cetera. I find the quickest thing is if they just Google Q speech, yep. Q speech and learning, right? Yep. Um, it, it comes up. Um, is this is this um, form on your website that they can maybe uh It's not download? yet, but I think that's a great idea. I've written that down. Right. It will be. Okay, great. <laughs> because, <laughs> really because I think, you know, some parents are sort of saying, look, I think my kid has these problems, but how do I know for sure? One simple way, and it doesn't cost anything, there's no consultation fee, maybe go to your website, um, download the uh, questionnaire, uh, and, um, you know, the parents come back with lots of yes, 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 and you, you and I know the thing, maybe that would mean, yeah, why don't we, we have a chat? Sorry, so I just... In the other seminar, I'll get you to give your email and your and your phone number, but because a lot of these people listen to this um, uh podcast as they're driving right we we need to kind of it's not as it's not like like when we do uh zoom lectures and stuff where a slide comes up and blah for further information so it's it, it's a nice quick thing to remember isn't it like cue speech, yeah, uh, speech. and it comes what, from what, 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 why why did you use the term cue speech what's cue stand for cue um well as speech pathologists we talk about we cue we cue giving tactile cues we cue giving you say it comes from the letter it's just a play on a word i suppose we, what we do is we help and and yep. we use the word killing to, to to help i suppose yeah well i mean in the current covid climate we qr code we queue for our vaccinations we queue for our covid test so it's probably it's probably well, good exactly right. it's a little, we're over queued put it that way for sure Nada, you, you are going to get you know some practitioners more so than parents that are going to say well where's the literature is this all hocus pocus you know is this the is this up there with iridology as far as um science uh, mm -hmm. and i know that you're a lady of science from your biomech bio uh, i was going to say medical background yeah, but that's right uh, right um and and uh, we've had many discussions about the literature do you want to just tell us what is in the literature so people understand that this is really evidence-based yeah absolutely and this is very dear to me it's probably why 
I've added to my already ridiculous schedule a clinical doctorate, you know, like I have time. But it's because we're really passionate about, yes, we want to know um, what is the literature that's currently existing. But also, I mean, if you look at the literature, it's quite recent. This is not new. So we, we've known some of the things that we work with my function from way back. But there's been a real push to understand this better more recently, particularly in the last five to 10 years. I do feel a sense of, one, I want to learn more and, and understand what the literature is. I think we owe it to our families that we work with, but also, and, and the colleagues that we teach, but also I want to contribute more because what, you know, th- there's three parts to evidence-based practice. One of them is our clinical expertise and we see the results that we're working with. Yeah, we, are, we, are, we are on the other end, right, of, of these families telling us what's going on. Um, so this is very valuable to us. But there is literature there. So some of the literature does come from Dr. Gulliman, but there are other um, other researchers who are also really um, coming out with some very interesting um, and very important information. So one of the recent studies on OMT, what it found was um, myofunctional therapy, if it was done for between three and six months, the AHI, so the apnea hypopnea index, was reduced. Um, they found reduced snoring in these children. They found reduced daytime sleepiness and they had an improvement in sleep quality and oxygen saturation. Um, now, on that point, I might just quickly also say when Dr. Gillamon regretted the, this fixation with AHIs, um, but my understanding was because, you know, sometimes we send our patients to, for a PSG, for a sleep study, mm-hmm. and they come back with there is no sleep apnea. Yeah, but, exactly, which is frustrating uh, when you know the kid has a problem and the parent knows the kid has a problem. Exactly. Or it's mild. Mild in a child is every hour up to five times this child had oxygen saturation levels below 92% for X amount. I think it's about 10 seconds or more than 10 seconds. So we're talking about there's nothing mild about sleep apnea, even if it's mild. And what that's missing, and I think this is what Dr. Gulliman was really concerned with, is um, by just fixating on those AHIs, we're missing the importance of all those other symptoms. Are their legs kicking around? Are they grinding their teeth? All these other symptoms that we've been discussing um, over over this podcast, um, they are missed if you're only looking at the AHI number. Um, But having said that, even, you know, obviously with science, with literature, numbers matter and numbers look good. Um, They do find that these numbers do reduce when you've got three to six months of um, OMT, so myofunctional therapy, including passive my functional therapy, which is those appliances like the Healthy Star appliance that we spoke about. Um, the other thing was, I know that you spoke about tonsils and adenoids. Um, we work with a lot of um, ENTs. We, we, you know, constantly working with them. I've been told numerous times that, a, you know, a good 70% of kids after the surgery has been done do not resolve the, the breathing issues. It's a habit that needs to be broken. Yeah. And the research um, supports that. So, uh, we have one of the one of the papers in 2013 showed that if they looked at these children who had their tonsils and adenoids removed after four years, the ones who had the surgery plus OMT continued to have good sleep. The ones who didn't, there was a resurgence of those sleep issues. Oh, that's such an important point. You know how frustrating it is um, when I see a kid who's seven and um, t- tiny palate, you know, like no room for the teeth. The tongue's got no space. And then the parent says, yeah, but they had their adenoids and tonsils out when he was three, right? Yeah. 
And that could have been because of recurrent tonsillitis. It could have been because of sleep apnea. But the problem is the majority of enos and throat doctors, not necessarily the ones we work with, mm -hmm. but the majority of enos and the throat doctors say, well, this is a panacea. TZNA is done and you're cured. But mm -hmm. as you know, if you look at the research, particularly by Gubineau, he showed residual AHI. In other words, um, and I'll explain AHI in more detail to parents, but kids who say had an AHI of 10, which means 10 times an hour, they either stopped breathing or their breathing was restricted. Um, it dropped from 10 to 5 after they had T's and A's out. So, you know, in medicine, that is deemed successful outcome. But can you imagine that? So I'll just explain AHI. In a simple way of saying it, say, for instance, you go to sleep and just when you get to sleep, I ring your phone, which you've left on, not on silent, and you wake up. And then I hang up. And then you just get back to sleep and I ring it again. Right. So when a kid has an AHI of 10, that's like me ringing that kid, waking them up 10 times per hour. So they never get to deep sleep. So can you imagine if you reduce that 10 times to five, this kid's still not getting good sleep. Um, so residual AHI was a big thing for Gumino. And in his research, and as you know, with my PhD research, we found the only kids who got to that zero level were the multidisciplinary treatments. They had the inos and throat, they had the orthodontic development, expansion, jaw brought forward, et cetera, et cetera. But most importantly, they then had the myofunctional therapy. So I always now speak to parents saying, look, your kid's got a problem. You might think it's a dental problem or you're referred in for sleep you know, problem. But at the end of the day, you need to have all three aspects of care. You want to comment a little bit about stability of um, good sleep based on this oral myology? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I, that paper that we were just talking about after four years, you know, it really speaks volumes as to if you get the function right, there's no reason for, for it to relapse. I think that this is an area where we definitely want to be seeing more literature come through. But what I find with my what with I, what I find with my patients it, patients is and what I explain to them is so if we get a child if we get an adult to learn where to put their tongue in the right place to chew with their lips closed and chew on both sides to breathe through their nose they are likely to keep doing that. What I do tell them though is now that you are informed and this is I think this is a key thing when they've gone through myofunctional therapy, they understand that this is where their tongue should sit. They understand that it's not normal to hang their lips apart and breathe through their mouth. It's not okay. So yeah. when we know that, then if they do get a cold, if they do get something happen, you know, maybe they get a sore tooth on one side, they will know that they are less likely to let it become a habit, which then ends up relapsing an issue. But I think that's key. It's all about the education we give families that education and that's why I go into schools and I speak, you know, with, with no charge, more than happy to educate families because we do better when we know. And most of the time I believe the reason we, we have such long-lasting stability with my functional therapy is because we've educated, sorry about that, we've educated our families on what correct oral function is and, and to look out for the red, you know, the red signs and the red, the red flags. Um, if something does go wrong. Yeah. Well, look, that's great. A lot of information for parents. Um, I, I think, Nada, could you possibly just verbally, as slow as you can, 
spell out what is the best contact number if parents want to get in touch with you. Maybe, uh, again, I didn't give the website correctly. Is it Q Speech and Learning or Q Speech? Um, and, and, and lastly, what's the best way uh, for them to get to see you? Do they need a referral? Do they need their GP to refer to you? Did you want Because that's always the questions we get asked after podcasts. Yeah, sure, not a problem. So as a speech pathologist, first and foremost, um, I guess in, in regards to being able to, to access rebates, so if a family has um, NDIS, um, we're NDIS registered, which means their, their therapy, their assessment is covered, Medicare is possible from a GP. That's the only time they need a referral um, is if they want to get five sessions um, rebatable. Yeah, on, on that point of Medicare, I think it's an important thing that I find that a lot of GPs are more likely to refer and put them under that scheme if they filled out that form um, mm-hmm. that, uh, that's that been evidence-based. So I think that's another reason for a parent maybe who, you know, is interested in getting sessions and um, wants to get this covered through um, a Medicare component. They've got to one of a better word, convince their medical doctor that this is a a, a, a real condition because the last thing you want is the doctor to think, oh, this is all hocus pocus and uh, uh, there's no need for that. Yeah. Absolutely. So I think it's just really important to say, you know, we're a speech pathology practice. We're looking at getting, you know, improvements in feeding, improvements in speech, improvements in function and, and in cognition. That's what we do. We just happen to look at the underlying issues and make sure that we we're really sorting out the problem from, from the underlying issues that are at hand. Perfect. So, Nada, always great chatting to you. Um, Thank you. Thanks for all you do, and thanks very much for looking after all the young kitties I send to you. Um, good luck with your postdoctoral research. Uh, I'm sure you'll be amazing contribution to our profession. Um, so with that, I'm going to end tonight's podcast, and the summary points are... Um, Go in and download the sleep and speech questionnaire and mm-hmm. see how your child performs. Mm-hmm. Um, be aware that lip and tongue tie are important. Be aware that um, breathing with your mouth open is not a good thing, particularly when you're sleeping. Understand that kids who are disruptive in uh, class and who are maybe not doing as well as they can academically may have a sleep disorder problem and may not necessarily have ADHD, which everyone seems to lump them into as the uh, too hard basket. So I think um, this is great information for parents. Thanks very much for taking your time, Nada. I know you're in the middle of moving houses and uh, things like that, uh, but uh, we, uh, we appreciate it. So this is uh, Derek Mahoney signing off from another episode um, uh, of uh, Kids Sleep. So with that, uh, we'll wrap up uh, this episode. Thank you for listening to the Kids Sleep Health Podcast brought to you by Full Face Orthodontics. For more information about Dr. Mahoney's work, visit fullfaceorthodontics.com.au or visit his social media pages listed in the show notes.